Okay, good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight's class is titled God's Master Plan Part 2. And, uh, no, good question, good question. Page 20, we're in chapter 23, and we're going to begin at the top of page 96. But I wanted to begin by sharing an insight that uh, took me when I heard it in this week's Torah portion. And have you all heard the, the phrase, uh, klutz kashe? A klutz kashe, you know what a klutz is? You know what a klutz is? What's a klutz? Somebody trips on that. Yeah. <laughs> a klutz kashe is the most basic question. It's one of those questions that you don't believe you never thought of. And in this week's Torah portion, yet this morning, I learned such a question and I wanted to share with you. So the Torah portion is called anyone? Vayetze. Last week was told us this week is Vayetze. The Torah portion starts off Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva. Yaakov leaves from the city of Be'er Sheva and he goes to Haran. The commentators say Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva. Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva. Why do you need to say he left Be'er Sheva? Start off saying that Yaakov goes to Haran. Why do you need the word and he left? Rashi comments, and he tells us, and I'll read the English. This teaches us that the departure of a righteous man at Sadiq from a place makes an impression. For while the righteous man is in the city, he is its awesome aura, he is its guiding light, and he is its honor. When he departs from there, its awesome aura has departed, its guiding light has departed, its honor has departed. So Vayelach Yaakov, when Yaakov left, the awesomeness of the city of Be'er Sheva went with him. Simple Rashi, I've always learned this Rashi. But today, I learned the most basic klutz kasha. You know, Yaakov left. Why did he leave? His brother wants to attack him. His brother wants to kill him. But his, his holy father, Yitzchak, still remained in Be'er Sheva. He's running away from his brother. His holy father lived in Be'er Sheva. His holy mother, Rivka, our matriarch lives there. And all of a sudden, their son Yaakov leaves and we say the whole city is in shatters. What do you mean? <laughs> the holy Yitzchak and his holy wife Rivka still live there. I, I was taken by the question. Is it, Bashi, the question is clear? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, why is it as, well, where does it say that it's assumed that the... That the Holy aura, wait, does it say that somewhere? Rashi comments, yes. Rashi brings this down from the Medrash. And the deduction is from the interesting word of Vayetze. The Vayetze in Hebrew means that he left. You know, why do I care? We already know in last week's Torah portion he's leaving. We know where he is. The Torah already told us he's in Beresheva. Why didn't you tell this to me? From the fact that it says that he left Beresheva, it tells me that he made a, something drastic happen. The whole city of Beersheva was, so to say, downgraded. But why was it downgraded if our patriarch and matriarch was there at that time, of Yitzchak and his wife? There's a deep answer. But I wanted to just share with you the simple technical answer. Think for a moment. What, why was Yitzchak not in a position to be the brilliance of the city at the moment? At this time period, anyone recall what happened, how Yitzchak physically was? How was... He was blind. He was blind. Why was Yitzchak blind at this time? 
Three opinions. Fantastic. We Hashem wanted that he shouldn't be able to see who's coming if was yes, but he was so he was blind. But what the technical details how he was blind? Three opinions. One opinion says he was blind his whole life actually, from when the when he was 37 at the time of the Akedah, the tears of the angels fell in his eyes and blinded, blinded him. That's one opinion. Another opinion is the smoke of Esau's evil wives made him blind. And a third opinion was he became old. Whatever, the, whatever it is, at this point he was blind. He was blind means he couldn't really get out. Meaning... Rivka was, in a very technical sense, taking care of her husband, Yitzchak. So therefore, the, there was no one that was actively involved in getting the community to recognize Hashem. Yitzchak and Rivka were both busy taking care of themselves. It's a very practical answer, very technical answer. But I did want to share, sometimes we have a klotz kasha, and there's great answers. <laughs> But anyways, for more information, I'd love to share more of a deeper explanation at another time. Chapter 23, here we are, we're learning about how every time we do a mitzvah, we are connecting with the essence of God. And we started off discussing the difference between learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. Elisheva, what's the difference between learning Torah and doing mitzvahs? I love that. Great, great point. Let me share. When I was in yeshiva, basically the same terminology, we used to say, you have a watch and you have the instructions. What is greater, the watch or the manual for the watch? Which one's greater? The watch. Well, so the Torah... Wait, greater in what way? Like more valuable? In every way. In other words, the, the manual is only there to tell you how to use the watch. Yeah, you can't use the watch without the manual. Correct. But the manual is, has no value without the watch. The watch has value without the manual. Right, okay. So, so we, we were told that in a sense, maybe that's Torah and mitzvot. Torah is the manual telling you how to do the mitzvot. So the mitzvot are greater. But then we would always learn that Torah is greater, back and forth. And by the way, till this day, there is no answer what is greater, Torah and mitzvot. The truth is, each in its own way, Torah is greater because, as we'll learn momentarily, it's the essence of God. Mitzvahs are greater because they're drawing down more energy. But today, we're, what we're going to learn is how when a person learns Torah, he is uniting with the essence of Hashem more than any other method. And the unity that is accomplished at that moment, listen to this, is greater than the unity in the entire universe. So let's repeat this. At this moment that we are together right now learning Torah, it's a little wet, just careful. At this moment that we're learning Torah, right now, it's 8.23 p.m., Monday night, second day of, Chajvin, of, of Kislev, this moment we are learning Torah, we are 
uniting with Hashem in a greater way than the highest and greatest world. We are becoming closer to Hashem than the highest worlds that exist. How could that be? Let's see it inside. But to start off, we're going to start off by learning as follows. When a mitzvah is done, good evening, when a mitzvah is done, there are three parts of our body involved in that mitzvah. Let's remind ourselves, going back to the, to the basics, how many souls do we have? Two souls. What are the two souls? Elisheva, have you heard about the two souls? Fantastic. The animal soul and the godly soul. Which one of the two... Say, go ahead. I was going to say, I was confused because I was thinking about the levels of the soul. Like Fantastic. There's five levels. Very good. Very good. There are two souls. Which soul is inside of our body? Which soul is in the blood of our body? The animalistic soul. The nefesh Bahamas. You can't get anything done unless you connect with the animal. Your godly soul cannot do anything without working with the animalistic soul. So every time an action is done, part of the animal soul is involved in it. That's getting it done. In addition to that, every time something positive is done, the godly soul has energy that is connecting with the animalistic soul, telling it to do it. So again, we have energy from the animal soul. We have energy from the godly soul every time a mitzvah is done. And third of all, who is doing the mitzvah? The body. You could have a godly soul and an animalistic soul, but if you have no body, nothing is going to happen. So every time a mitzvah is done, there are three parts of you that are involved in it. You have your body, you have your animalistic soul, and the godly soul. Any questions? Clear? Makes sense? Why is your body and your animalistic soul regarded as two separate entities? Can your body and your animalistic soul be separated? No, but neither can your... Wait, they cannot? When a person dies, the animalistic soul and his body separate. So they can be separated. They're separate. They're separate. Alright, I thought we were talking about the level of execution. No, no, so actually we're talking about the full spectrum. Okay. We're saying that there's a body, there's an animalistic soul. They're all interrelated, but they're separate. Absolutely. Absolutely, they're all interrelated. I agreed. Agreed. But what we're going to do now is we're going to show you that every time a mitzvah is done, the full spectrum, the animalistic soul, the godly soul, and the body are all fully connected with it. Let's see that inside. Again, every time you do a mitzvah, the animalistic soul and the godly soul, together with the body, are all connected with it. Top of page 96. Top line. <coughs> so, by way of example, in the middle of the top line, page 96, left column. So, by way of example, is the life force animating the performance of the commandments? And their fulfillment every time we go ahead and do a mitzvah. Everything involved with doing the mitzvah is completely surrendered to the supernal will, which is closed therein, becoming in relation to it, like a body, to a soul. So we mentioned there's three parts, but I 
the, the most important thing slipped my mind. You have the animalistic soul, the godly soul in your body. But the most important part of it is that all three of these parts are completely nullified to completely nullified to Hashem. Again, let's repeat that back. You have the animalistic soul, you have a godly soul in your body. But the most important part of our conversation here is that each one of these three parts are completely nullified, completely nothing, completely given over to Hashem. And now we're going to see how each one of these three parts are so. We've discussed... May I argue a vocabulary point here? Absolutely. I'm not sure that we mean nullify, because the finest expression of Hashem in each of us is the expression of the unity between the godly soul, the animal soul, and the person. Therefore, if they were nullified, they could not perform God's will. So I'm not sure we mean nullified. Fair enough. I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I'm not sure what you mean by nullified. Great question. What does it mean, nullified? And the answer is... I appreciate David's correction. Let's use the word that they're using in the Tanya in the English right now. Let's use the word surrendered. Is that what the altar when says nullified? No. It, I, the word is battle. Generally it's translated as nullified, but right now they're actually translating it as, as surrendered. Surrendered means that your animalistic soul, your godly soul, and your body are all surrendered. Surrendered meaning they have let go of their personal interests and have given themselves over 1,000% to the will of Hashem. So their free will gets taken away? No. They have taken their free will and said, I am surrendering it to Hashem. So on the contrary, this is their will. So again, we've, we've said now that the life force animating the performance of the commandments. What is the life force that animates the commandments? Which one of the three steps? Is it the animalistic soul, the godly soul, or the body? When we're saying here that the life force animating the performance of the commandments is surrendered to the supernal will, is that the energy of the animalistic soul, of the godly soul, or of the body? Yes. The answer is, the life force animating the performance of the commandments is the, is the animalistic soul. The animation, the movement of the body, happens only because of the animalistic soul. Let's take a step back and remind ourselves. Why does our body need the... Why can't our godly soul work our body itself? Why does the godly soul need to work with the animalistic soul in order to have movement, movement in the body? Is it because we're here and we're not up there? But the godly soul is also here. Okay. The answer is that the godly soul, yes, is a little too spiritual to connect with the physical body. In order for the spiritual godly soul, which is inside of us, yes, but nonetheless, for it to command the body, it needs to connect with the physical, or, or not the physical, but the more physical animalistic soul. So the life force animating the performance of the commandments, that is the animal soul. So we've just said that the animal soul, when a mitzvah is done, is surrendered to the supernal will of God. May I construct an analogy which seems to me to capture what you've said? Sure. 
one of Actually, let me finish this section. We've discussed how the, and we'll get back to it, I'd love to hear, but we've discussed how the life force, which is the animal soul, when a mitzvah is done, is surrendered to the will of God. Let's continue. Likewise, the external garment of the divine soul. Now we're going to discuss how the divine soul, the godly soul, is surrendered. Likewise, the external garment of the divine soul and the person fulfilling and practicing the commandment. Now remember, which garment of a person does, does stuff is the fine. How many garments are there, Elisheva? You're familiar with the three garments? There's Machshab. Go ahead. No, I'm actually not familiar. I thought I was Nefesh Ruch. Those are the five parts of the soul. Yishai, what are the garments of the soul? The garments. Uh... Chapter 3, we learned that there's thought, speech, and action. Machshava, Dibran. Maisa. So over here we're saying the external garment of the divine soul. What is the third? What is the furthest garment of the soul? Action. So when you're doing a mitzvah, the external, likewise, let's read it again now, likewise the external garment of the divine soul, which is which garment? The garment of action in the person fulfilling and practicing the commandment, which, this is what the, we continue, this being its faculty of action, clothes itself in the vitality of the performance of the commandment. When you do a mitzvah, the garment of action from the godly soul is enclosing within it, also becoming like a body in relation to the soul. That we know the body is surrendered to the soul. So the, the godly soul is also surrendered to the supernal will of the mitzvah being done. The soul being the supernal will to which it is completely surrendered. So now we've just said that the animalistic soul is surrendered to the supernal will. The godly soul is surrendered to the supernal will when an action is done. And now we're going to continue. And in this way the organs of the human body, the physical body which performed the commandment, in which the divine soul's faculty of action is closed at the time of the act and fulfillment of the commandment, truly become a vehicle for the supernal will. Not only your animalistic soul, not only your godly soul, but your actual body is becoming a vehicle for the supernal will. And we're going to now give an example. As for example, the hand. When you go and give tzedakah, the hand which distributes charity to the poor or performs another commandment. What's another commandment you could do with your hand? Tefillin. Tefillin. What's another commandment? You could light Shabbos candles. Another commandment? Davening. You're holding the Davening. Or the feet. Let's talk about feet now. The feet which carry a person toward the performance of a commandment. Similarly, with the mouth and tongue engaged in uttering the words of the Torah. You're using your tongue to talk. Or the brain, engaged in reflecting on the words of the Torah. Or on the fear of heaven or the greatness of God, blessed is He. In each of these cases, the body itself is now a vehicle that is surrendered to the supernal will of God. Just to quickly digress, why did we give so many scenarios of how you could use your body for a mitzvah. We all know that there are so many ways you could use your body for a mitzvah. 
So why do we need to say you could use it for your hand for charity, your feet to go and do a mitzvah, your mouth for talking, your brain? Because each part of the body is significant of a particular mitzvah or relationship to the commandment. Did we mention your nose? We didn't mention your nose. You could smell. That's also a mitzvah. Because those, these are the three garments. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Like mouth is speech, brain is thoughts, and hands are action. Beautiful. We've limited the... This, fantastic. We've said action, using your hands and your feet. We've said speech, using your mouth. And we've said your brain... Thoughts. So when you do a mitzvah, your animalistic soul is, is surrendered to God, your godly soul is surrendered to God, and your body is surrendered to God. David, go ahead. We are on the journey. The journey is pursued by a ship. The ship is our body. The engine is our animal soul. And the captain and navigator together is our godly soul. And we are pursuing this journey to uh, a port or ports, which is the unity within the within Hashem. Uh, when I first started to read that this um, some time ago, that was the analogy that came to mind. And for me, it seemed to clarify the relationship. That's a very interesting analogy. You have a boat. The boat is the... You're headed in a direction. The boat is the body. The animalistic soul is the engine. And the godly soul is the captain. Nice. I like it. We learn that the Avos, Hain Hain Hamer Kava, our forefathers, they are Hashem's chariot. And without learning... Hasidus, without learning Kabbalah, it doesn't make sense. What do you mean they're the chariot? But now, that's the, it makes perfect sense. Someone that is completely surrendered to God, he's a chariot. That is, what, that is the ultimate person who is surrendered to God. Again, not surrendered, God forbid, because he's given up. Surrendered because he recognizes that is his ultimate mission in life. He's a chariot for Hashem. Let's see that inside. Bottom of page 96, left-hand column. This is what the sages meant when they said that the patriarchs were truly the chariot of God. For all their organs were completely holy and detached from mundane matters, serving as a vehicle solely for the supernal will alone throughout their lives. They They were a vehicle for the supernal will of Hashem. And, and I have a, a personal thought I want to share here. Personal thought means I want to make clear that I didn't see this currently at this point, but I think this is what we're learning. We are learning something amazing right now. We're learning that the body of a Jew is different than any other body. When a Jew does a mitzvah, he has a different body. He now has a body that is a holy body. Of course, putting aside, of course, the, the, the body of a Jew as from, from birth is a holy body. But we're learning much more now. Every time you do a mitzvah, your physical body is connecting to Hashem in a much deeper level. 
And, and we all know the sanctity of life. We all know the importance of, of the body and how, according to the Torah, nothing gets in the way of the holiness of that body. We are going to do whatever we can to God willing keep everyone alive because life is so valuable and the human body is so precious. That's a thought I, I think we could take out from here. Again, that the body itself becomes a different body every time we do a mitzvah. Any questions? Is the body holy only because it has the ungodly soul? If it didn't have the godly soul, would it still be a holy body? Well, you can't be a Jew if you don't have a godly soul. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that you say there. Seem to remember you said that, that people who aren't Jewish do not have that. That is true. That. that is true. Are you asking? Do the same? Um, sorry, am I hearing a question? I think so. What's the question? Um, if if you don't have the godly soul. Is your body still holy? That's a great question. If you don't have a godly soul, is your body still holy? Tell me a practical application from it. So I, I'm very clear on what the question is. Um, I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll I'll give you an example, perhaps, of what you're asking. Today, there's a big question about what is it called? If you allow someone to choose if they want to live or die? Assisted, assisted suicide. Physician-assisted suicide. Physi Whether the law should allow someone to assist you in that decision. Got it. The Torah would be clear both for Jew and non-Jew that certainly to actively be a participant in death is not allowed. But if someone, if a non-Jew said that I... I Life is too hard. I cannot handle it anymore. Um, would we say that at all costs you need to, in a sense, suffer through it? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Maybe that may be a practical application for it, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure the halachic ramification of it. Good question. Can I ask a question? Please. What do you mean by non-Jews don't have a godly soul? Because... There are so many non-Jews that do so many great things and are very spiritual and holy. There are so many Jews that are horrible people. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a very good question. So, to be clear, everything has God within it in this world. It is impossible for anything to exist without God being inside of it. And to add, on a personal note, I'm only alive now because of um, a non-Jew who risked his life to give out visas, a man named uh, Sugihara, I believe is his name, um, who was working for the Japanese embassy. So, of course, there are tremendous non-Jewish people. Lithuania. Lithuania, yeah. There are tremendous non-Jewish people. And, unfortunately, yes, there are Jewish people that are also, unfortunately, not doing what's appropriate. So what does it mean that only a Jew has a godly soul? It does not, just to, I'm, I'm, we're not going to go into the full explanation, but it does not mean that if someone who has a, does not have a godly soul is bad. Not at all. 
What it does mean is that a Jew has a godly soul and they have a deeper connection to Hashem. So, perhaps when I said it initially, it sounded like non-Jews are bad, Jews are good. No, not at all. That. I was just trying to understand what you meant. Got it. Yeah. Um, so what it does mean is that a Jew has a has a, a higher level soul. A, a, has a deeper connection to Hashem. Everything that's alive has a soul. Absolutely, but the revealed godliness um, is within a Jew. A Jew can develop their connection to Hashem, like. Oh, and that's why I'm very happy you asked that question. A righteous non-Jew, yes, absolutely, can have a portion of the world to come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very good. It's important to remember, if I may presume, that the assumption of the chosen people title implies a mutual, one can infer that it implies a mutual obligation. <clears throat> And that that relationship is cemented by the godly soul. The godly soul obligates a Jew, whether he likes it or not, he has the godly soul. And he is obligated in a way that a non-Jew is simply not obligated. Right, it, becomes, it comes with responsibilities. Yeah. So let's wrap it together. Any, are we good to continue? Adisha, any other questions? Yeah. Oh, let's wrap it together and let's continue. So, we've said... That, it, that when a mitzvah is done, the godly soul, the animalistic soul, and the body are completely surrendered to God. Does that happen when you learn Torah or do mitzvahs? What did we say? When is your godly soul, animalistic soul, and body surrendered to God? When you do a mitzvah or when you learn Torah? What were the examples that the, the altar... When you do a mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you are surrendered to God like a shirt like a shirt Yishai, is that shirt stuck to you? Is, is that coat stuck to you or could you put on another one? it's nothing you could do it it's completely surrendered to you we are, when we do a mitzvah we didn't say we're one with Hashem your coat is not one with you Yishai you could give it to goodwill and uh, that will be the end of it when you do a mitzvah we didn't say you're united with us, Hashem. We said you're surrendered to Hashem. Now we're going to talk about Torah. And we're going to say how when you learn Torah, the unity is unparalleled than a mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you are becoming... When you, do a, when you learn Torah, you're becoming one with Hashem. When you do a mitzvah, you're surrendered to Hashem. When you learn Torah, you're becoming one with Hashem. What's the, what's the difference? Who could shout out the difference? Which one is greater? In our context right now. To, to be one with Torah is much greater. Mitzvahs are special. We're allowing our Hashem to come within us. But we're not becoming united with Hashem. Torah is an unparalleled level. Why, how, why is that? A mitzvah is a mitzvah. A Torah teaches what mitzvahs are, how to perform them, and what constitutes a mitzvah. So therefore, the plan is in the Torah. But, the that, that's, but that's much lower. I started off saying that... Were you here when I gave the analogy of the watch and the, and the manual? The what? I gave, I gave an analogy of a watch and a manual. You have a watch, and it comes with a manual. Which one is greater? The watch. So seemingly, the Torah is just a manual 
for how to do mitzvot. So seemingly mitzvot are much greater. The Torah tells you how to understand and interpret the watch. The Torah tells you how to put on tefillin. Period. How to put it. So the Torah... But... No, I... The I, I didn't mean to distract because yeah, it was late. Up. No, no, no problem. Unless the What's, Torah tells me what to do, I'm not exactly sure as to how I ought to conduct myself. Well, back to the analogy of the watch. You may not know how to use a watch without the manual, but nonetheless, the watch is the ultimate. There's a difference between the, the manual for the watch and the Torah. Why? Because the manual for the watch is like one-dimensional. It's just... Absolutely. That's a good point. Good, good, good. And, and that's what I want to talk for a minute about. You have to know what it says. You can't just it watch. It teaches you one way to use the watch. Let's, let's give an example. When a person wants a house, Hashem wants a house. So let's take the, the example of Hashem wants a house where he lives in. Are, are you ecstatic? Is your dream to have the electrician come and work on the electricity? Or is your dream to have a completed house? It's a completed house. Is Hashem's dream to see Basha make another brach and add a brick to this house? Or is Hashem's dream to see the masterpiece, to see Mashiach? Hashem's dream is to see the home where you can fully live in. Each mitzvah is, is a step to it. So each mitzvah, it's the, the mitzvah, I, I just want to give a, I want to put a ahead before I continue that. What I'm going to say now is true in one aspect. Whatever we learn in Hasidus, I was always told, from my, when, when we were Bachram and Yeshiva, we, we always made a joke. Any question you ever get in Hasidus, just say it depends. Because there's always two sides. So of course what I'm going to share right now depends on, the, on a few items. But putting it simply down, Hashem is not looking for you to do the mitzvah. Hashem is looking for the outcome of the mitzvah. I am not looking for the electrician to work on the electricity. I'm looking for the electricity to work. I'm not looking for the person to come and work in putting down the wood flooring. I want a wood floor. So each mitzvah, the, I'm not looking for you to do the mitzvah. Not me. Hashem is not looking for us to do the mitzvah. He wants the outcome of the mitzvah. He wants the world to be a better place. So the action itself is not what the essence of Hashem wants. Hashem is looking for the outcome. When it comes to Torah, however, here's the catch. We are connecting with the essence of Hashem. The essence of Hashem, yes, it may be a manual. Even if we're going to take the example that the Torah is a manual, but it's Hashem's manual. He's put His wisdom in, in the manual. Kind of like you were saying, it's not a one-dimensional. Hashem has said, my wisdom, my, myself, the first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi. Anochi, the Gemara in Shabbos tells us, is an acronym for the words Ana Nafshi Kisavis Yehavis. I have put my soul inside of the Torah. Hashem says, I 
My essence, is, my essence is in the Torah. So to repeat back, when you do a mitzvah, you have surrendered yourself to God. But you haven't connected in the ultimate way with Hashem. However, when you learn Torah, which is the soul of God, your soul is connecting with the, your essence is connecting with the essence of Hashem. That's a unity that, that is unparalleled by mitzvot. Does that make sense, Joni? Some of it. Some of it. I'm still absorbed. I'm still kind of processing. Oh. Yishai, does that make sense? Should I repeat it again? Yes. Let's repeat it one more time. When we do them, mitzvot are secondary almost. To, it's not about the mitzvah. It's about the outcome of the mitzvah. Torah is Torah itself. The Torah is the essence of God. So when you're learning Torah, you're connecting with the essence of God at that moment. An unparalleled unity. But isn't that only if you allow yourself to connect? No. Like, couldn't you be learning Torah by thinking about something else? You're not supposed to. But you could. <laughs> no, then you can't learn Torah. M- meaning, meaning, you can't understand Torah. Mm-hmm. You could learn Torah for ulterior motives. That's not the conversation now we're saying. We're saying no matter what motive you have, when you're learning Torah, you are learning the essence of God. And if you understand it, guess what you understand? You understand the essence of Hashem. You have connected with the essence of Hashem. So, sorry, did that answer the question, Alisha? I have another question now. No, I just like, what if you're having a hard time connecting to Hashem because you experienced something very hard or something? Like, you can't just like, So that's, a, like, oh. I'm sorry, I, I, I jumped in. Say, say the question no, again. I'm just saying, like, what if you're like going through something you're stressed out and you're learning Torah like you feel like you can't connect to Hashem's essence so is that a feeling you're having or is that the truth the truth is that you're connecting to Hashem's essence even if you feel pain is that what you're saying absolutely because if you understand the Torah so it's in your brain what's in your brain the essence of Hashem is in your brain and your Yisahara is in your brain yeah no problem but you have united with the essence of Hashem. You could be upset at Hashem. But He's still there, because you're still there. Absolutely. And that's what we've been learning previously, that Hashem is concealed. We, don't, we may not see Hashem. But at the moment we are learning Torah, we, if we understand it, and this is what I wanted to say, no matter what the motive is, if you understand the Torah you are learning, you have understood the essence of Hashem. And the essence of Hashem has united with you. Did, did that answer the question? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm sort of understanding what you're saying. But at the same time, I'm, I'm sort of questioning, okay, so when you're doing mitzvahs, we're still connecting with Hashem, but it's not, you're saying it's not quite the same level. It's a kind of a more higher connection when we're um, studying Torah than if we're doing mitzvahs, but we're still connecting with both. I'm going to put in the words of Kabbalah, the words we're learning here. When you do mitzvot, you are surrendering to God. When you learn Torah, you are uniting with God. When you learn mitzvot, it's like you're like a garment. That is, a, that you're, you're the shirt that Hashem can fully enclose in. But the shirt is not one with the person wearing it. 
When you, learn, when you do mitzvahs, you are surrendering, surrendering to Hashem. When you learn Torah, you are uniting with Hashem. Um, I'm wondering, okay, what about in procreation? Are we uniting with Hashem? Or are we surrendering with Hashem? Or are we doing both? In having a child, are we uniting with Hashem? Or are we surrendering to Hashem? Hashem is our partner. We learned the Gemara says, when you have a child, Hashem is partnering with you. Mm-hmm. But the action itself is not uniting with Hashem. Mm. The action itself is a mitzvah. But you have not... You, it has, you, just to use the wording we always say, in procreation, you are a partner with Hashem. That is, that is a terminology used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are a partner, but that doesn't mean that we are one. Are we becoming, you know, I guess I have trouble figuring out like this oneness or unity with Hashem. I mean, I understand like you feel, you feel a kind of strong connection, I mean, at least I do when I'm involving and studying Torah, but I, I guess it's a new term for me to think about unity with Hashem. Let, maybe we'll talk about it more after the class. It's a good, it's a good point, this difference between surrendering, unite, uniting. You have a question, Gershon? Uh, well, really quick. So, um, so, so the mitzvah, when you surrender and do the mitzvah, that's the action garment. But the, when you're studying Torah, is that thought and speech, or only thought, or neither one of those? Or all, or all of them? <laughs> it's a good question, because learning Torah is also mitzvah. So when you learn Torah, you get everything together, right? One of the mitzvahs in the Torah... There isn't, there isn't like a separation of garments of, between learning Torah and... No, no, to, to be very crystal clear, when we say Torah is unity, that's talking about your thought. It's talking about understanding Hashem. I mean, ultimately, that's where you're at. Right, 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 right. If, I, I hope I'm not being presumptuous, and I don't want to be a whore. Well, maybe I'll but um, in, this, in this age where we find ourselves now, we look for rational explanations. We look for reasons to substantiate this or that or something else. And frequently there are, and there's a great deal that is rational about Judaism in terms of social relationships and the functioning of society. But the importance of Kabbalah deals with the other side of Judaism and existence, the irrational, the mystical, the, uh, the uh, philosophical motivation. And so we find that if we make an attempt to understand that, all of a sudden the rational becomes a hell of a lot more rational and a hell of a lot more easy to implement because we acknowledge that there is something which is not provable, which is not definable, but certainly gives an explanation and a rationale and a justification and we can assume and make that a part of ourselves. And certainly we can in terms of our obligation as uh, uh, an exemplar through our godly soul. So I think that is the charm, if I may be presumptuous to use that term, of the mystical part of Judaism. Heretofore, and in some of the movements of Judaism today, only deal with the rational, the explanatory, the implementation of mitzvah. Why? Why? What's in back of all of this? What, what's the moving force? 
What is the relationship? Why bother? Well, there's a lot of reason to bother, and that's what Kabbalah covers. Thank you, David. I want to put this together. I want to read. I'm, and I want to read one section before we conclude. Can you, can you buy into that? That's my view. I don't want to commit blasphemy here. Um, it's it's for another conversation. Okay. Torah is call it out. What happens when we learn Torah? We unite. Mitzvot are surrendering. Let's learn this idea of Torah being un unity. Next week we'll learn exactly how that happens. But let's, again, we're now on page 96, right-hand column, fourth, fifth line. As for the thought and meditation in the words of the Torah, when a person thinks and meditates on the words of the Torah, where does that happen? That are in the brain. And Gershon, yes, the Alter Rebbe says, and the power of speech. Engage in the words of the Torah that, that is in the mouth. So yes, it would also include speech connected to Torah. These being the innermost garments of the divine soul. Let's remind ourselves, because what's the external garment of the divine soul? Action. Action. So thought and speech are the innermost garments of the divine soul. Not to mention the divine soul itself, which is closed in them. All of them are completely merged in perfect unity with the supernal will and are not merely a vehicle. Let's read that again. Are completely merged in perfect unity with the supernal will and are not merely a vehicle. Amazing. We've discussed this before, but it's always worth it to repeat. In marriage, there is, a, a, there is supposed to be a male and a female, and they, the male should always remain a male, and the female should always remain a female. You do not, if an unhealthy marriage will be, if chas v'shalom, there is confusion in the man being a man and the woman being a woman. What needs to happen is that, uh, that the man and woman are able to work together. But the ultimate marriage will never remove the man from being a man and the woman from being a woman. I share this because that is what it means here. The, 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 we say we're using the word um, completely merged in perfect unity. The only perfect unity is with Hashem. Only with Hashem can we become pure, completely one. In this world, there is no such a thing as two entities becoming completely one. All you'll have is one mishkebabble. You'll have two things that are just cooked up together. But perfect, the ultimate perfect unity can only be uniting with Hashem. Doesn't the sinner say that the unity of God with Israel is the perfect unity and combination forming one? I'm not familiar with I'm sure. But the answer would be yes. You're, you, I mean, that's exactly oh, what we're learning now. Sure. What the yay and the, uh, I can't remember the Hebrew terms, but they're italicized in the sinner in the introduction. That. So I, I, I trust you, but none, yes, absolutely. When a, um, the unity with Hashem is the ultimate unity. So when we, so let's summarize. Here we go. We're back to we're back to where we started. Torah is the ultimate unity. Mitzvos is surrendering. What we haven't explained is why is Torah the ultimate unity, and that's what we're going to learn next week. We're going to actually go through specific examples within the Torah because, come on, when I go ahead and I learn, 
tell you a story I had today. An embarrassing story, and Basha was there, unfortunately, to watch me be humiliated in front of all the school. <laughs> so, one of our teachers... Okay, we trained our teachers that uh, if you want to buy something for the students, you buy something with an OU on it. So, our teachers, very dedicated teachers, they were teaching about the moon, and they wanted to share the different phases of the moon. Well, you were there also when I was humiliated in front of everyone. No, <laughs> so the, they wanted to uh, get sandwich cookies. And with the sandwich cookies, have the students make the different forms of the moon, etc. Master plan. One teacher this morning, early this morning, ran to Safeway. They couldn't find the specific brand we said. The other teacher went to, Fred, went, to Fred, went to Albertsons. She didn't find it, but then she thought she'll go not to the kosher section, she'll go to another section. And, she'll, and she found cookies with an OU on it. And she comes to school, and uh, I, was a, I was a really not nice guy because we know there's a halacha that ideally, when anything that is cooked from the five grains, not only should it be kosher, but it should be pas Yisrael. Good, pas Yisrael. What does pas Yisrael mean? It means that a Jew should be actively involved, aside from the fact that the ingredients are kosher, a Jew should be actively involved in the work of making the food. I've never seen sandwich cookies be pas so they have, they have, they do. But anyway, these sandwich cookies were not past Yisrael. And so I said, we're not going to use them. But let me ask you, what exactly about the halacha of having sandwich cookies being past Yisrael, how does that connect you with God? Come on, if you go and give a poor man money, you're connecting with God much greater than learning about sandwich cookies being cooked. Right? Wouldn't that make sense, Yishai? Aren't you, come on, if someone goes ahead and they light Shabbos candles, that's beautiful. They're bringing light. And if they're going to go and learn how, if you're going to put something in your pocket on Shabbos, you may be carrying... How does that, how does that unite with Hashem? This is a very practical question. Because seemingly, again, to say that mitzvot are surrendering and Torah, it's a little challenging and we'll discuss that next week. Thank you very much, everyone. Are there any questions? Thank you. I think you've answered sort of answered my question. I have to show up next week to get to my questions. Then I finished off well. Okay. My only question, and I'll wait for next week, is I still have to figure out how you humili humiliated yourself. Well, thank you very much. Are there any other questions? No. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a wonderful evening.